everyone. Welcome to 15 Minutes, a podcast about fame, episode 19. I'm Jamie Berger. It's November 17th, 2016. I'm sitting in a darkened classroom recording this intro uh, because I got to get it out to Ed tonight. I won't be getting home till late, so I'm recording it on my handheld. Strictly handheld is the style it goes tonight. For about the past week, I have been wanting to do a little mini episode in which I purge myself of my thoughts about the importance of fame in the election of Donald Trump as president of the United States of America. (sighs) And I couldn't bring myself to record solo. I always hate doing these intros, and I'm much happier talking to a guest. And I wanted to be able to be relaxed and actually talking. You can hear it in my voice right now. I'm not comfortable talking by myself. I I hope to learn as the years go by from uh, my mentor, Hardy White, how to talk to people or just feel like they're in the room with you, but I'm not good at it yet. So I didn't know what to do because I really had to do this and the days were passing and so I realized I had to find someone to talk to and I had to find someone who was willing to pretty much just be my instrument uh, to allow me to to talk by myself. So that was complicated. What I really needed was an interviewer. And then it dawned on me that my friend Andrew Leland would be great. Uh, he's a friend from San Francisco, and we just reconnected recently. And he is someone comfortable on the radio and talking to people because he has a podcast called The Organist, out of KCRW, on the other coast. Andrew was longtime editor of The Believer magazine, and we had a conversation. I asked him if he could just help me by being there as a pair of ears to, to let me talk. And we ended up, though, luckily, he had some things to say, too. And... I'm saying and a lot tonight, but I hope you find this worthwhile. It was certainly worthwhile for me to make it, and I wish you all the best in these coming inevitably hard years. We spoke on the phone last night. Hello, Andrew. So, uh, I'm going to do some kind of an intro explaining who you are and why I needed to talk to you. Yeah. Um, and and uh, part of it, just to explain it to you, I'll probably edit this out, is that, uh, as I might have mentioned, that I, I'm, I, I, 
hope to reach a point someday where I am better at visualizing someone I'm speaking to, and I don't have to hear them or know they're breathing there in the background. Um, because I really just want to use you as a tool to be able to talk about that, some things. Sure. Uh, how are you? I'm great. I'm great. Yeah. That, that not many people are saying that mm. uh, this week. Well, I didn't. <laughs> I didn't mean it. Oh, that, oh, sorry. That was sarcasm. Oh, I see. Yeah, I just. No, no. Uh, I'm, I'm. I'm saying you were being. I guess I didn't mean it as sarcasm, but then you know, now that you reminded me of that, it occurs to me that it was an <laughs> em- empty grate. Yeah, it did sound. It sounded kind of empty. Um. So while I've been ranting like much of the world. There are people who are depressed and there are people who are manic. And I've been very manic for the past week on the social media about all the various, various upsetting things about the election. But the only thing I think I have to bring up that might be my own or more relevant or worth talking about is, is the relationship of, as I take a sip of my bourbon, hmm. of this election and of this election and Donald Trump as a really horrific apotheosis, if I'm using the word correctly, of fame. Yeah. And I also want to, because I was talking to some people who, there's a lot, there's a lot of, there are a lot of aspects of Donald Trump that are just ingrained in me because I have known him, not personally, but known him. Uh, I'm, you know, I'm 52 years old. I arrived in New York City in 1982. The Trump Grand Hyatt opened in 1980. And Trump Tower opened in right after I got there, I think. Yeah, July of 82, right before I got there. And he was a huge and horrific personality to me from before, you know, I grew up in upstate New York, so he was familiar already, but I arrived in in New York, a young punk rocker, I guess new waver, if I'm being honest. And, you know, when I tell people I lived in New York throughout all the eighties and only did cocaine once and didn't get high, uh, part of it is because everything about that era and the, the Trumps of the world were the, the, the antithesis of what we wanted to be my friends and I. Uh, and so he was always a very, very big, horrible figure in my life. Um, so, and, and the, 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 the glitz and gaudiness and, uh, I mean, the only thing pleasurable about Donald Trump in those years was uh, Spy Magazine battling him. And the the most famous thing from Spy, or what I looked up today and what I remember, is them calling him a short-fingered vulgarian. And part of why he's succeeded is because of the vulgarian part, as I think most of us would agree. But what I wanted to talk about tonight besides the fact that i'm going to do my best for the next four years to keep up with the news while never while seeing and hearing his voice as little as i possibly can and to participate as much as i can without seeing him but he became what he is about to become 
because for reasons that our society has, I, I feel like, you know, it, it's almost uh, too obvious to say that, that, that fame has replaced religion, fame, power, money, but largely fame, because the icons are the famous people. And he bought into that really early. There's no reason that this kid, who to me also represented, I went to the little private day school in Albany, where all of Albany's doctors, lawyers, and business people uh children went and I was I was a poor kid because my parents were just professors. How I ended up going to that school is another question, another story. But he to me represented the worst of the worst of our school. The guy who wasn't smart but wasn't dumb, wasn't a jock but hung out with the jocks cuz they had the power, sucked up to them just enough got to be in charge of them just enough was and and had something that very few people have and that is a complete uh lack of conscience it seems to me this is just to be clear not donald trump this is uh, who this is, is this that you're talking about this is uh i i i'm not going to name their names anonymous but it was it was rival. anonymous underling jocks mm-hmm who would pick on friends of mine and me. I was kind of in between. I was at the very margin between a geek and a jock. I played some sports. I never started. I was on the newspaper and the drama club. But these kind of guys who succeeded, these preppy, born on third base. And when I talk about Donald Trump, I often uh, talk about him as being born on third base, bases loaded, guy at the plate just got hit by a pitch. I mean, he, he, he had it, you know, he hasn't had to do anything, no matter what he says, uh, except be vaguely clever and have no conscience. But what interests me in terms of 15 minutes is that he wanted seemingly very badly from the beginning, even though I'm sure he got laid all he wanted and got all of anything he wanted, he really has wanted to be adored by strangers or at least have the attention of them. And it's it's worked to the most insane degree anyone could imagine. I mean, pick your you can pick your 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 dystopian satirist of choice, Philip K. Dick, Kurt Vonnegut. If they wrote this, I don't I think editors would say, you know, say, yeah, go make it believable. Uh um but some quotes that, that I, I picked out, especially one of them, are interesting to me. His skill set is showbiz and hucksterism. And earlier I, earlier this year or last year, after one of the Democratic debates, you may remember this, he said, Sorry, there is no star on the stage tonight. And I think that must have, bells must have gone off in his head. There was no star, and there really wasn't. I mean, Bernie was a strange kind of star for a little while, but not really. And about birtherism, after he disavowed it, which I don't think he ever 
any part of him thought Obama was, or that even mattered where Obama was born, he was getting attention. And I don't even think it was like, oh, someday I'm going to run for president or I'm going to use this. It was like, I, I, he, he just, he loves attention and he's willing to do anything to get it. And he said, I don't think I went overboard. Actually, I think it made me very popular. And that's why I say it doesn't matter who it made him popular with. Um, so you think that he has devoted his life to seeking the adoration of strangers and now he's finally kind of hit, as you say, the apotheosis of that goal uh, in becoming president-elect. What do you see, Jamie, about the distinction or uh, between fame and power here? Because now he's finally, uh, you know, made this sort of ultimate conversion of fame and power. Where, where do you see those two linking up here and, and generally? I tend to agree with the people I've been reading and hearing who argue that he doesn't really and didn't really want the job because he's someone who's who's good at being social and and being in front of people and and picking fights and enjoying the fight and wanting to win. He wants to win things and he wants attention. That's it's always seen to me. But I don't know that he did you watch him with the president when he visited? No, I just I just saw the photos and read about it. It's worth watching the video because I've read from both people on the left and the right but not not Trump fans that there's a there's a kind of a uh that same jock kid or wannabe jock who would pick on the, the weakest of the weak to impress his jock buddies. There was kind of this sense in the room, for me, of him. Like, like he he almost couldn't look him in the eye because it was like, 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 dude, I was just trying to win something mm. with the birther movement, with everything. There was a very this humility and almost embarrassment about him, and I don't think he wants to rule the free world. I think he does to the extent that he wants more attention and adoration. Uh, scary part is he wants to win things and pick fights. I, that is true. But I don't think he wants the responsibility. He seems to like fights where he's the big... I mean, he is the big guy. He's fucking the United States. He's the United States of America. I don't know. Maybe he'll love it. I kind of feel like he's feeling some anticlimax right now, though. Or just pure terror. Yeah, pure terror. Like, I, I mean, you know... I, 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 I admit, maybe I'm not giving business people enough of their due, but I give Warren Buffett his due. I've never witnessed anything or read anything that suggests that Donald Trump can even make a good deal. He just keeps making them, and he hits enough of them. <laughs> um, you know, and, he, and he had a lot of money to spread around. And I also believe that part of the tax thing is he doesn't have as much money as he says. All of this, I kind of want to. I wanted to the, the what I wanted to get to. As much as anything is the exact quote, and I'm trying to find it. What do you feel about him and power and power and fame and money, in terms of where we are this week? Well, I wanted to ask you just for to remind me and maybe your listeners about where your interest in fame, what, what the sort of 
what brought you to this podcast and fame. And it seems like you haven't, and forgive me if you have, but the, thinking about fame has been from a more, uh, you know, like the creative uh, arts more than, than fame in terms of politics. Uh, right. I mean, so what, what, what is like the basic interest in this podcast with fame? Well, I mean, yeah, it has been more in, in terms of the arts. Uh, I have been working out my interest as we've gone through. And I obviously wanted to do this because I have issues with fame. Everything I've ever made is to help me work out my own crap. Uh, so, I'm about to get to the answer to your question or why it's important to me that, that we talk more about fame because it, it's such a direct he said <clears throat> and when you're a star they let you do it you can do anything grab them by the pussy and we've all been repulsed by that except for those of us who want to say, fuck you for being repulsed by that. It's no big deal compared to, I don't know. It's just the world is broken up into two very different groups right now. Um, but I, 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 I'm, I'm, I'm going off base there. And we talk about how repulsed we are by his statement. But nobody's talking about the fact that what he said was 100% true. That we afford stars the full license to do whatever the hell they want because they're stars. Yes, and and I am a very you know, feminist, symp sympathetic, and or and oriented man by 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 upbringing, but I want to leave gender out of this for the moment. It could be Madonna saying this, and I'm sure she grabbed her share of her dancers' dicks. But fame allows you to do anything, <laughs> and and it and um, uh, Russell Brand. There's there's a, it was an inter interesting interview with him recently talking about how like the moment he became vaguely famous, like women would just fall at his feet, and and would just people would, would they wouldn't just let him do anything; they'd want him to do anything. And it wasn't, it didn't have to do with money or any kind of power beyond the power that they were a person recognized by a lot of people and maybe loved by a lot of people. But the thing that's weird about Trump is the one other connection I have to Trump is that my friend Annie was the runner up to Joan Rivers on uh, season two of Celebrity Apprentice, I think. And and that's the only time I've forced myself to. I watched the whole season, and she did great, and got to the end, and then absolutely got ripped off because Trump wanted to give it to Joan Rivers, and that's not just because she's my friend. But I don't think most of the fans of the show watched it because they adored him. He was a, a kind of a, a buffoon and a villain, it, like 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 a wrestling. You know, he did do WrestleMania, and yet. There's still that power, and I think we need 
I would say as a society, but almost as a whole planet, to think about that and why we give fame so much power. And part of what I want to do is, you know, I've I've had various I've talked about this too much on this show already, but I've I've had various almost careers where when I start to get too much attention, I run away because I'm I'm both I both really want it and I'm really repulsed by it. And what I want to be able to do is just make things like this, like this show, which I'm doing, you know, kind of on its own merits, although I'm sure trying to get attention for it. So yeah, I guess that's why it's interesting to me. It's like I, I want us to I'm glad that religion has faded away, but I'm I, I think this is perhaps the main thing that's replaced it, and I don't think that's good. Right now it's it's it, it's inarguably bad. Because I really think without fame, Donald Trump is nowhere near where he is today. People recognized him and they thought they knew him. I think a lot of people who voted for him think they know how full of shit he is exactly. And that gave them comfort. There seems to be a part of fame that has nothing. I mean, a large part of fame, maybe most of fame has nothing to do with what you've accomplished or what you're famous for. It is this pose or attitude that you have to get through the door, but then it's, it's really like, what has he actually done aside from, sort of maneuver his way through yeah. notoriety. Yeah. And crudely maneuver. Yeah. Uh, I, I, like what's your ideal of the good side of fame? Like, who do you think is the sort of like, is there, I mean, cause fame to me always has taint. There's, there's recognition, you know, and there's, there's, there's people being adequately recognized for the good things they've done. But when I think about fame, it's sort of it's sort of this it's like it's like once you've made more than a hundred million dollars it just it's like it's just this extra gloss that that nobody really needs i mean do you have a sense of somebody who's just just wonderfully famous in a really in a really refreshing way that just makes you glad to see <laughs> um who I, who jamie I, there are several people adam sandler no uh, Lucille Ball? Uh, no. Uh, Gandhi? Definitely not. <laughs> um, Fred Savage? He seems like an okay guy. Uh, no, I, I, what I wanted to, I, I, I want to think about it while I respond and say to you that I've learned a great deal from my, these first uh, 18 guests. Almost everyone of course, I'm 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 contacting people I think I'll like or people I already know, <laughs> and like. So their responses are ones that I am probably going to respect. But almost all of them say that while it's it's great to uh, have the respect of strangers and peers, it's the it's the two way collaboration of it the the non fame part, but the more communicative part of it that that's that's very rewarding um that 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 uh, jessica abel talked about it uh in in a recent episode that it's the the conversations that she has with her fans uh that her readers that what, what do you mean what what is that communicative part inspire and inform her work and 
if she is able to help them and they're able to help her, that that's what means the most to her. And having a certain, you know, there isn't a certain number for her, a certain type of person. Like I asked my friend, Sarah Jaffe, you know, Sarah Jaffe? Yeah. I mean, I know uh, her. Yeah. The, not the yeah yeah the, i've never the, gone skiing with yeah. her or anything no. oh she's a skier but sarah yeah, had more more the uh the response that i would have given in my gut which is that you know i i asked her if there's any audience any one any any person that she looks up to who she'd want to appreciate her work yeah. and she said and she said without thinking she said oh pretty much everyone whose work i've ever liked <laughs> and i said well that's that's a modest goal <laughs> yeah um but the people off the top of my head i i think of there are so many i mean you you've you've known people who are very successful or known i mean I, I not among people i know but among people who are just famous stephen colbert seems really good about it <laughs> well i don't even mean like who's handling it well i just mean like do you think that it it has there's a positive aspect to it. I think Patton Oswald uses it really well to try to communicate with the world on Twitter of all places. Uh, and to express himself and to take a stance. Uh, yeah. If you can wield it that way for good. Yeah. Yeah. If you can wield it for good, it's like the force. Mm -hmm. it, it really is like the force. Because it's amorphous, it's hard to pin down. There's certainly a dark side. My God, we're seeing such a dark side. Yeah. How about you? I, 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 I mean, I mean, if we're gonna talk for a couple more minutes, I'm gonna at least try to bug you for a second about your sure. own desire that I, you know, as far as I've seen, to be a, uh, a behind the scenes. Not, not. A, yeah, I mean, you do have a radio show and you talk. Yeah, but you don't seem to like to be the front man. It's eleven o'clock at night, just for the record. Yeah, um, and I, you know, I'm tired. Yeah. But uh, let me tell you this. Uh, <laughs> you know, when I'm thinking about that question, uh, you know, about Patton Oswalt using Twitter well, as of somebody who's worked as a as an ad magazine editor and yeah, as a as a podcast host, I think that that platform can be available to you if you're not famous and if you'll never be famous, you know, if you write an article or if you put something out there, I don't know if, you know, I think there's a difference between wanting to reach a lot of people and wanting to be famous. And that's, I think my resistance to fame is, is, uh, is that the fame accrues to you and it's only you who it's only the person and sort of ultimately the ego that can be famous. And there's a distinction there to just saying, I'm going to, write a fucking poem that's going to kill a million people with love. And, uh, it's the poem that does that. Uh, that was a really ridiculous way to say that, you know, another way to say that would be like, I'm going to publish a six part piece of investigative journalism. That's going to blow the lid off this mother. But like, you know, you might win a Pulitzer for that, but ultimately it's like the work. So I think that that's the right attitude, at least as far as how I try to set my compass. Yeah. I like killing a million people with love. Um, but yeah, I mean, I suppose in my own life, my dreams are to have, to make work 
that reaches people and and affects them in some vague positive way that I'm not sure what it is. And if you do that, then fame is kind of like an annoying byproduct. You know, you're like, I wrote a poem that killed a million people with love, and now I can't go to the fucking Kroger without somebody's tongue in my butt. Would you explain to our audience what a Kroger is? It's just a supermarket in the in the Midwest. <laughs> in the South. Midwest, yeah. where you moved from. Yes. Yeah, that's the thing. But the weird part is that that if I'm being honest, there is part of me. I've always dreaded the idea of, of walking down the street and having people stop you and and attribute things to you based on the million people with love killing poem that aren't you. They're the poem. But there's also something in me who the people I've known who've had a little bit of that that I, I want to know what it tastes like. Although they all seem, you know, almost all of them, except for the real performers, uh, uh, Eugene Merman, John Hodgman, comics are all like, yes, fame is part of my job and I wouldn't mind a little more of it. And I think that's a very particular kind of personality. I think especially Eugene isn't an egomaniac at all. But he's like, I asked him if he'd rather be more famous like Patton Oswalt or more famous like, what's her name, the voice of Lisa Simpson, uh, of Bart Simpson. And he said, I don't even understand the question. Of course, I'd rather have a little more like Patton. I'm like, really? Because I'd rather have the non-recognizable walking down the street kind. And he said, well, it's just, that's what I do for, a, you know, I perform in front of people. Oh, anyway. Yeah, well, I mean, the, the comparison to art with Trump is is difficult because he really is just sort of like an, to use some parlance of the academia, you know, he's like an empty signifier. It's just like, he's just pointing back at himself. He's the cliche of be famous for being famous. Like he's, you know, he's, he, he, he inherited this real estate concern and threw his name on the towers and married Marla Maples. And then it just sort of like <laughs> reality TV snowballed into this fucking nightmare, but there's no product other than himself, you know, as opposed to this other conversation where at least there's a poem or a beautiful, uh, stand-up comedy compact disc or whatever here. It's just this, this naked self-perpetuating telos to yeah. fucking yeah. underworld. Yeah. 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 And I guess we're also about to witness the, I, I, I can't help but think the most horrific, let's just use apotheosis all night because I'm, I'm just learning how to use it right yeah. after, after teaching English for 30 years. Yeah, man. The, the apotheosis of reality television. Yeah. We're going to see four years of reality TV in the White House. Yeah. And I think that, that the way we all fell in, you know, we didn't, but we as Americans fell in love with reality TV. Well, this is what we got. This is what we got for that mediocrity. Mediocrity is generous. Um, but I do feel your work and parenting life and your 11 o'clock deadline. You're, you've given me seven extra minutes already. No, this, is, this has been fun. I'm just worried also that I was just going to fall asleep on the phone. So I'm glad I no. that didn't happen. No, I, th I think you even. I mean, I'll leave you with one more thought. Uh, Please, I don't have to leave immediately, but uh, good, good, good. I want to. I want to leave that open to you. Yeah, I'll. I'll just like shut you down when <laughs> in a minute. But um, 
I think Twitter is important. You know, you brought up Patton Oswalt and Twitter. And in terms of like, you know, where you can find the famous people, Oi and Dia, these days, they're all right there uh, with their little blue check mark, right? The blue check mark, I think, is like the badge of fame in this day and age. And Trump is, is yes. kind of, you know, he's our first Twitter president. Or I don't even know if he's first or Twitter president, but he just he just wields Twitter in such a he. Yeah, yeah go ahead. He, I mean, he is a king of Twitter. He he wins at it, and, and it's such a <laughs> crucial part of of his success and who he is. You know, if you look at this this feud with the Times right now, as they're reporting on the sort of disastrous transition, and then what's his? I mean, I don't know. Are you in front of a computer? Like, what is the tweet? How does the tweet read? It's like failing New York Times, which, by the way, like you know. That's just like he's got these stock phrases. Like I, I remember seeing, like you know, with his Twitter feud with Graydon Carter, speaking of Spy Magazine, like failing Vanity Fair. Uh, like this is just you know he's got these little, um, he's like a bot, you know, just like insert failing in front of name of periodical who he's feuding with, and it's it's just astonishing that yeah that he's president yeah. elect, and that's that's what's happening on Twitter. Yeah, the failing. At NY Times story is so totally wrong on transition. It is going so smoothly. Also, I have spoken to many foreign leaders. Yeah, it's just like, it's just, yeah, it's like assembled by a d- deranged yeah. raven, you know, just like these little stock ego scraps to construct. Yeah, it's, it's, it's so fucked up. The only, yeah, it's so fucked up. And the one thing you got to give him credit for is, he knew he knew and and knows his audience. Yeah. I do think there's a part of him th- that I I hold out a little bit of hope for him at least backing off to a normally horrible Bush presidency in that I think there's a part of him that has always well he'll take whatever attention is being coming his way and and you know like he said about about the uh the birther the the birtherism you know it made me very popular but i think there's a part of him that wants the buffets and the bloombergs of the world to have even a teeny bit of respect for him and they never have and i feel like there's part of him that that has a dream of being statesman like i don't think he's got it in him but yeah i'm i don't know i'm afraid of of ever, even a whiff of normalizing trump at this point yeah uh, i'm sorry I, think, I i agree completely i think that there's I don't, you know and part of me this is me just being shamed by my more radical facebook friends but uh it's pretty it seems like a an imperative to hold him to the the standards of his campaign until he proves otherwise i don't know what the value is of of uh doing otherwise i agree I agree. And with that, yeah, I think that's a good good place. <laughs> well, uh, thank you for for letting me get this out of my system. Well, it's fun. I feel like uh, what was the name of Howard Stern's uh, co-host there? Uh, Robin Givens. You're yeah, you you're my Robin. I feel Robin like this. Wait, this not season. Robin. Was Robin Givens a Mike Tyson wife? Oh, I I don't know her it's name. It's Robin. Yeah, I yeah. feel like Robin. Ah, I feel like Batman. <laughs> All right. Well, let's, All right, let's talk more soon. Yeah. Bye. Bye. Thank you again, Andrew, for helping me out.
and for your insights. Because I know they're listening, I want to send out apologies to both Robin Givens and Robin Quivers for my name slip. And of course, the voice of Bart Simpson is Nancy Cartwright. Thank you all for listening. I hope this episode did you a little bit of good. It did me a good deal of good to record it. And I wish us all the best in these next years. What I wish for us all is that, and I say us all because if you're a Trump fan, you're not listening to my fucking podcast, right? If you are, fuck you. I wish us all success in impeding his agenda more than Mitch McConnell and his scumbag friends managed to do in the past eight years. Let's fight the good fight. Next week, I'll be back with cheerier stuff. Tina Antolini, award-winning radio producer and amazing radio voice, will be my guest. This is 15 Minutes. I am Jamie Berger. <laughs>